Welcome to Dynamic on the Daily, your everyday guide to health, fitness, and balanced living. Jema and Megan deliver a relatable and practical guide to living dynamically, inspiring you to take effective and motivated action to live your healthiest, happiest, most balanced life. Now, here are your hosts, Jema Oliver and Megan Hanawald. Welcome to Dynamic on the Daily, your everyday guide to health, fitness, and balanced living. This is a podcast where we make this relatable and practical. This is a guide to living dynamically, which means we inspire our listener base to take effective and motivated action to live their healthiest, happiest, and most balanced lives. I'm Megan. And I'm Jama. And welcome to episode three. So today we're going to be talking about... Um, getting back into the game and your identity as an athlete. And we'll be looking at maybe the identity you once had as an athlete, whether you're an athlete in high school or in college, or maybe even a professional athlete versus what your athletic identity might be now since you've been in the real world or as the millennials call it, adulting. <laughs> I'm a Generation Xer, so I, I don't even know. Yeah, this what whole that's all about. Th- this whole phrase "adulting" came up, and you know, I work with a bunch of millennials, and um, they 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 talk about adulting and how oh, man adulting hashtag adulting, and I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like being a grown up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, you and I talked um, last week about how neither one of us were really ever. Um, athletes in high school and college. I didn't even start exercising until I was in my 20s. I was always effortlessly thin and I thought that working out was kind of dumb and I would just run if someone was chasing me. And so my whole athletic um, career, my whole athletic persona didn't actually kick in until I was in my late 20s. And so this notion of um, getting back to the glory days is completely foreign to me. Yeah, and um, it was great to have this conversation because I also, I was not an athlete. I struggled all the way through my childhood um, with not being athletic and not really wanting to be athletic. I mean, my mom enrolled me in gymnastics, hated it. She enrolled me in softball, terrified of the ball. Um, she, I tried track in middle school, hated it. You know, I mean, it was, I did the whole gamut. Um and the, the funny thing is, is that I started volleyball and I really enjoyed it because guess what the object of the, the game is, is to hit that ball away from yourself. So I think that's why I really liked it is we're like, oh my God, ball coming at me, like panic and hit it away. Like that was perfect. Um, and then I did find, I've talked about this. I found my true passion in rowing um, when I was in high school. So my senior year, found it, loved it. And that's when I, for the first time ever, felt like an athlete. And then, you know, went on through college. They didn't have a rowing team. So I kind of lost that identity altogether. And um, after college, started working out regularly and then moved back to the States. I'd been living in Austria for a couple of years. Um, Moved back to the States and started running 5Ks. And then, oh my gosh, look at that, 10Ks. And started rowing competitively again. It was, it was refinding myself in athletics, but you know, I didn't consider myself an athlete until literally a couple years ago. And it came at the moment when 
I was talking to the, um, the head of the fitness program at the gym where I worked. And um, I, I caught myself saying, I don't know what we were talking about. We were talking about the cycling program. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not a real athlete. Let's, let's leave that up to the real athletes. And she looked at me and she was like, Megan, what? What did you just say? And, and I was like, well, I don't consider myself an athlete. And she's like, um, do we need to have a talk? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I was like, I, I guess so. And, you know, it's, it's funny. But, but being an athlete, there is, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit, there is the inner talk that you have with yourself about being an athlete. And then the outer perception of what other people think of you but more importantly, of what you think other people think of you as an athlete. So we're going to get back into that a little bit. But um, the point of this is, is that your identity as an athlete can really be skewed in, in your head and, and how you think of it yourself. And, and one thing I always think is really interesting, especially if you have been an athlete, a very serious athlete at one point, and something happens. If you get injured and you're out of the game for quite a while, or in my case as well, when you get pregnant and you have a child, um, that happened to me and, and I seriously, this was 10 years ago, I felt lost after I had my child because I was, um, I was lost. I, I, I wasn't that athlete that I had been for so many years. I was 60 pounds overweight. I couldn't run a mile, um, and right before I got pregnant, I had run my fastest marathon just three minutes off of Boston qualification, and I was, oh, and then all of a sudden I'm fat and, and <laughs> feeling like a slug and, and doing everything I could, so I really struggled for a while, um, and that's, I think, why I'm part of the reason why this fascinates me so much um, is, is struggling with that uh, identity. But um, we have a special guest today that we would like to introduce to get into this topic of, of what, quote unquote, the people think a real athlete is. And when people are at the peak, at their height of athleticism. So, Jama, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? So, we've got um, Brad Godwald on the phone. He is the Director of Strength and Conditioning at NYU. Uh, Brad works with more than 600 athletes on 22 NCAA varsity sports teams. He's got five years in the professional strength and conditioning game. Um, he has experience with the U.S. Army, the University of South Carolina football, which I'm not going to hold that against him. Go Vols. Um, Long Island University. Uh, he's been a part of 12 NCAA national championship tournaments. I mean, like I could go on and on. Brad's the real deal. Um, and we're going to bring him in to talk just a little bit about um, what life is like for the college athlete, for starters, what their training programs are like, um, mentally what they're going through. Um, Brad, welcome to the show. Ladies, thank you for having me. Oh, of course. We're so glad that you're here. So um, just for starters, um, tell us just a little bit about um, what your athletes are doing throughout the week what do their training programs look like how much time are they putting in yeah so um division three which nyu is um specifically is a bit different than a lot of other uh college atmospheres 
as far as the rules and the time that we get them. So where like when I was in South Carolina, uh, we had the guys five days a week. Um, go Cox, by the way. Uh, we had the guys <laughs> five days a week. So we were, we had them going through their lifting and conditioning sessions. On Division Three, I get them in in their in season period, which most seasons run about eighteen weeks uh, for the sports in Division Three. I get them two lifting days a week. Um, so, and that's just because of the, the, the rules of the, the time that they can have to practice. Um, and that's generally most Division three schools because they also have to allow time for uh, their academics and you know, NYU is a very academic-based school. Um, so with that said, uh, we, during the in-season time, which is the only time we can mandate that they come to training, I get them for two lifting days a week. Um, we don't really have the facilities for conditioning work, so I do what I can within our gym um, and that in-season phase is really built on them having the discipline to come in their off-seasons when it's not mandatory um, to put in the off-season work to build the platforms. In-season is mostly about maintaining what they've built. Luckily, we have a really good culture at NYU where teams are coming in and they're putting in the off-season work where I actually get them three to four days a week Um so as far as programming, I take them through um, a very undulated type of program where they they cycle through strength phases into power phases, into speed phases, and kind of go back and forth like a roller coaster through those phases until they get to that end season. And then it's just kind of like we're not coasting. We're still working hard, but it's not anything that should be really making them sore two days before a game, things like that. Um, and we can get into more specifics, but yeah, it's really like just kind of a roller coaster programming to get them to peak right as the season starts. So I find that really interesting, and I suspect that these athletes probably have an easier time transitioning into adulting um, than maybe some of the guys at South Carolina because they really are having to do a lot of this on their own, self discipline you know, not being mandated by their coaching staff to be there, you know, five days a week. Oh, yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, and besides that, I mean, you know, the, the whole NCAA thing is most of our athletes go professional in something other than insert sport. Um, and I would say at NYU that's truer than anywhere else. I mean, we've got kids that are in Stern Business School. We've got the, the medical program. So our athletes aren't and it's not a knock on any, any other athletes, but a lot of athletes, when they're in divisional programs, they might not do, like, there's no time for them to do a medical program or, like, a really, really in-depth business program. At NYU, that's why the kids are there. They're there to, to be doctors, to be chemical engineers, computer engineers. So they have to really balance that professional, becoming a professional adult, along with maintaining the college athlete life. And I think that's really interesting because I know um, my brother-in-law played college football and he has taught, of course, he still works out, uh, runs five miles a day, still lifts. He's still in great shape, but he's talked about how many of the guys he played ball with um, and how once they got away from the football program, they didn't know what to do. They didn't have that discipline. They didn't have that structure to be able to carry them through into, into adult life and their health and their fitness suffered for that. Um, so just kind of in your experience mentally, how do you make that transition from, um, going from sport and, 
that sort of motivation um, from outside sources to working out as an adult and being able to fit it into your regular life and kind of doing that on your own? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it was, it, it, fitness has always just kind of been a passion. So when I made that transition from high school, college athlete to adult adulting, um, it stayed a part of my life. So I think that's kind of, even with the athletes, it's kind of an individual thing. You've got the people they need to have that kind of competition void filled in some capacity. So even if they don't move on to semi-pro or just a fun league of playing their sport after college, they, they, they've got to feel that kind of athletic competition. So it really comes down to the individual, I think, and people that want to pursue health and fitness as a hobby or profession or those that they did it, now they're going to be working their office job and they want to focus their time on that. So it's, I mean, I can see with, with, with all the athletes I work with, I can, I can see the people that are going to stay into the health and fitness realm um, at least as a hobby, and I can see the people that are, they're going to go off and they're going to work 100-hour weeks as a doctor, and they'll lose the time. So I do – I'm going to kind of throw you a little bit of a curveball here. So I met Brad through his wife, Patty, who works with um, social media influencers. Um, and one of the things that I see a lot, especially with women, and it's probably true of men as well, is we have these social media fitness influencers who come on and show their very young, very fit bodies and kind of sell this, um, hey, you can get this kind of body in just 10 minutes a day with me on the Instagram. And there are so many people who fall for that. So when it comes down to it, and I mean, shameless plug for Brad and I have a a strength training plan that we've done together. in real life, how can the regular person kind of look at social media and, and tell the difference between that um, social media facade of like 10 minutes a day and you'll get this body and like the real deal? Other than just yeah. coming to me because I'm obviously the real deal, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's hard. And you know, part of part of my journey was when, when I got out of the Army, I knew that I wanted to do something health and fitness related. I didn't know that I was going to end up where I am now. But I was like, I got out and I knew I wanted to go to school for exercise science. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be a famous Instagram trainer. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, and now I look at some of the things that these people post and I'm like, what are you telling your following? Like, mm-hmm. I, I can only, like, if I, if I had the ability, if I had hundreds of thousands of followers, the information that I would give them would be. Like, I would want to give information of value, but it's like people literally just give information based on either what works for them or what they think that people want to hear. And yeah, I don't, it's, it's so hard to decipher what is real information and what is, I don't know, Instagram bro trainer information. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I try to stay out of it, but I get in like, arguments and stuff on face on instagram all the time especially when people see like things that i post that like because they don't know what it is they don't they think that it's wrong and like <laughs> it's always the instagram trainers that like comment like what is that even doing you don't know what you're doing you're a strength coach blah 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 <laughs> and yeah so my jaw is on the floor right now <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> uh it happens like i don't and I, I, I'm getting better the older I get about not even 
just deleting the comment and not even entertaining it but like it because i'm really passionate about what i do like i like just my, my, my immediate reaction is to defend what it is that i do um but you just gotta let it go sometimes but yeah the, the information is really hard getting back on track to for the everyday person to be like okay well this person's saying this why should i believe them or this person's saying this i mean one i would say if it seems too good to be true i know it's super cliche it probably is mm. um and the one thing i learned from from mentors of mine and colleagues and other people is the more real a person is on their social media the more they show like their everyday life or the bad side or like their own weight gain they're more than likely giving you at least better information the ones that are like perfect 365 days a year um they've always got the abs they're always in the gym sweaty they're probably just feeding you what you want to hear oh wow and 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 really good photography and really good photography that does make a really big difference Mm -hmm. And, and they're not they're not telling you about all the extra sauce they're putting on their spaghetti either Oh, for sure. Megan, shall we talk about cake? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I've this had week I've s- baked non Oh, my goodness. I've given a lot of business to the local cake shop, yes. too. Yeah. All right, Brad, I'm going to keep you on the line because we may have some more questions. But I know Megan has done um, a lot of research on the psychology of sport, which uh, I have always struggled with the mental game. Um, physically, I'm able to push myself mentally. Um, that's where I kind of struggle. So I'm actually excited to just sit back and listen to Megan um, teach me. Okay. But I also welcome conversation around any of this as well. So um, Brad, if you want to jump in or Jama, if you want to jump in. But yeah, this is one of the things, like I said before, that I really struggled with um, as I came out of pregnancy. And, you know, yesterday I was cleaning up my office Um and I looked at one of my uh, trophies from 2011. It was for second place all around Athena in one of my triathlons. Now, for those of you who aren't um, triathletes, the Athena division is, I believe, 100 and, ooh, I think 160 pounds for women and above. Um, or yeah, I think it's like 160, 150 something to 160. Well, I was there um, and and I was looking back at that and I was so mortified that I was racing in Athena and then I was super pissed off that I took second place in Athena. And here I was, I was stuck in my head about where I used to be. You know, I, when I got pregnant, I was at the top of my game. I was winning everything. I was, I was looking at my plaques and, and the year before I got pregnant, I had taken first in my age group in my, in my first half, um, in my first half marathon. And I was looking at, you know, tons of, of awards for running and triathlon and rowing. And I remembered how unkind I was to myself during that time. And, um, but then realized that I had had a very unhealthy outlook on sport. And so there's this book that I absolutely adore called The Brave Athlete. It's written by um, Simon Marshall, PhD, and Leslie Patterson. And this is a great partnership that they have because um, one of them is a pro triathlete 
um, the female who married um, Simon, who was just a run-of-the-mill age grouper triathlete. And it's fun to read through their banter about, you know, how he was eating a lot of crow and how he felt so bad for so long because he married a professional triathlete and he would just go out for his, you know, 10-mile run where, you know, she was running 20 miles on him, you know, whatever, after she had done so many miles on the bike. Um, So that's fun in general just to read it. I mean, if you're a triathlete, I I highly recommend it. But, you know, it made me really think a lot about this topic. And if you ask an athlete, so tell me about yourself as an athlete. I tell you what I used to do or what is the first thing that would have come to my mind is I would have listed all of my accomplishments as an athlete. And if you notice that this is what you do, then we need to back it up. Like that Tonka truck, just back it up. Because, you know, you are more as an athlete than the sum of your accomplishments. And so much more goes into your training. I mean, yeah, the trophies, the accolades, the titles, they're awesome, don't get me wrong. But when you're focusing on that, that's kind of the external motivation. And where's the internal motivation? Is that healthy? Is your internal motivation, is it pushing you to be the best? And if so, that's where things get into some murky water. And that's where you might be dealing with some perfectionism uh, issues. Shut up. is what drives me it's spite perfection tell me i can't do something and i will do it perfectly just to spite you oh yeah i have some issues megan like deep down inside oh we all have issues believe (laughs) me i used to have some serious issues um yeah but but you know so when you're going for this perfectionism actually brad i want to ask you um do you see a lot of perfectionism in your athletes where they're setting extremely high standards of performance for themselves and they strive for flawlessness and then they're super critical about themselves? Oh, yeah. I mean, I see it on, on all levels. Um, but especially, again, with the, the unique unique situation at NYU. I mean, they're, we're Division three, but there are some athletes there that, like, they still have dreams and goals of going pro. Um, in whatever their sport may be and they are I mean and then they're the people that they're in the gym more than what's made mandatory they're there five days a week they're asking me specifically for nutrition advice or supplement advice or like extra stuff they can do so I I definitely see that like that drive and perfectionism like I've got to get this just right Um, and it on top of being at NYU like it just it puts so much pressure like you can see like as the weeks go by that people just like get tired and like beat down because they're like holding themselves to such a high standard yeah and and that leads itself i mean that just leads to burnout and 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 then with burnout a lot of athletes don't realize that that leads to decreased performance right i mean they're trying to be better and better but really what you're doing is you're you're beating yourself down slowly physically oh yeah and that's a hard conversation to have too because like because they think that you've got to do more and more and more. When I have the conversation, hey dude, slow down a little bit. Like you gotta, you gotta let your body rest. And they're like, no, but like I've got this goal and I've got to do it. And I'm like, yeah, but 
but you're just always going to be chipping uphill if you never allow yourself time to rest or recoup or like let everything decompress a little bit take a nap yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. i put that i put that in their online program for this weekend i, I like I've been doing all of my coaching or my programming remotely and using Instagram. And for my weekend, I did an ABC block, just like their normal programming. And I put like, take a nap, eat something delicious, call a relative. Oh, you're my favorite coach ever. I know, seriously. <laughs> I love it. Did you put cake in there too? I just uh, anything delicious. Anything delicious. Tacos. Okay, good. I'm a big taco person. So for mm. me, it's gonna be, I'm going to try to find some tacos that will deliver um, right now. So yeah. <laughs> with, with a margarita on the side? Yeah. There you Interestingly go. enough, they're doing that to go in New York right now. They're actually doing that in Chattanooga doing right now too. too. It's really cool. <laughs> I actually had to order queso and chips because they wouldn't just give me a margarita straight up. Oh, I know it's okay. It was delicious. Yeah, yeah. eat something delicious, Megan. Yeah, <laughs> don't have to tell me that. Um, but yeah, so so there is this perfectionism, and I think that a lot of people who were once athletes probably struggled with this perfectionism. Um, and that's where, you know, a little shift, you can still strive for being your best and you can still strive for high standards. I mean, there's nothing wrong with high standards. That's what gets you to the better place. But if you adapt that a little bit and you take the focus less off of what other people are seeing from you, how other people might be evaluating you, or if you're less focused on making mistakes and mistakes become okay, and maybe not performing at your highest at every race is okay, or maybe you relapse or you get sick and you allow yourself to come back slowly, um, then that kind of perfectionism where you allow yourself some forgiveness but you still strive high, that's gonna get people to a much healthier place and how they think about their athleticism. And that goes a lot with your external motivation your external motivators versus your internal motivators. Because if you're more motivated by the external world competition competition you know winning the winning the league getting the gold making a podium every single race if that's what you're concentrating on and what other people are thinking about you then there's some work that needs to be done and there can be a lot of work done about okay what did I do well in this race but even more importantly what didn't I do well and if you can, because a lot of people who focus on being perfect, they're going to get critical about themselves rather than, you know, they're going to beat themselves down and have some really negative talk about, you know, oh, well, I lost this one for the team or God, I sucked in that race or whatever, rather than saying, okay, so what did we do where that team walked through us in the last 500 meters. Okay, what, what is it that we did or what didn't we do? What can we do better? And when you start evaluating your performance like that, you know, there's room then for the celebration, what did I do good? And then there's room for the, what can I do better? What didn't I do so good? And if you take away that negative conversation about beating yourself down and you start to look at 
um, being kind and saying, okay, well, what can we do better? Guess what that does is that gives you a new goal. That gives you something to strive for. And that might be the same goal you had before. Maybe you just took two steps back and you need to take three steps forward. That's a much healthier way of looking at your performance. Um, and, you know, one thing, I, I coached high school athletes. And, um, I mean, there was nothing better when my team won, especially if it was, you know, the rivalry race or something. And, you know, they'd get off the water. And before we celebrated, we would evaluate the race. We'd talk about it. We'd talk about what we did great. And, you know, then we'd get a little celebration the next practice. All right, guys, that was awesome. But we can't get cocky about this. The other team is waiting for us to get all cocky and we don't have to train anymore. You know, we're good. We can just cruise through this. No way. We have to train harder. And so then we would take the evaluation of the last race or the the last three weeks practices. Okay, in these last three weeks, what did we do well? And what haven't we been doing so well that we can add and we can get even better? So that would be the way that, that we would uh, approach things. And so, you know, this is kind of the way we look at team sports. Now, as an adult, as you are in the real world and adulting with air quotes, um, <laughs> guess what? You don't have a structured team. And you, I mean, some, some adults do, and that's awesome if you're in a league. But if you're in a league that's not really structured, that's the way, you know, leagues can be awesome for going out and fulfilling that teamwork need and fulfilling that um, hey, we're all in this together, and you have a goal, and you have a reason. Um, you've got the leaguers who don't work out at all, and, and then they come, and they, they play hard, and you get a lot of injuries, get a lot of knee injuries, and elbows, and shoulders, and all that fun stuff. Um, and then you get the, the leaguers who are really serious about training, and they, they come out, and you know they're, they're more serious. So you get that, but then there are you know, the athletes who go into their life, they work really hard, like Brad was talking about, they work their 100 hours, and eventually things calm down. And then it's kind of the question, okay, here I am, I'm 30 pounds overweight. And what do I do now? Brad, have you ever had um, athletes come back to you in that condition and ask you for help? I wouldn't say necessarily like that extreme or in that condition, but I've definitely had athletes that I've worked with um, that have come back to me. Either they've been in the area or they like have they're out of their college training um, protocol and like they don't know what to do, and they'll reach back out. But yeah, I've definitely had athletes reach out and like, look, I've been off the competition field for a couple of years. Like, I can see my health and fitness deteriorating. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just have, having like honest conversations with them, like, all right, look, you've essentially taken two years off. We can't jump right back in where you were. We've got to like kind of start over, and and not not from the beginning, but in like some middle ground. Um, and then that can also add to that frustration. Like, okay, an athlete's only two, three years older, but they're not the athlete that they were two, three years ago, and that can get frustrating having those conversations. Um, and that's where it is really important to have a team of people around you, even if it's not necessarily like a true team, but like having the, the friend structure around you 
to help rein you in and like have those hard conversations, but have them the way they need to be held. Accountability. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. And that's actually, Brad, that's going kind of into, into what I want to talk about is making that transition as a real world adult from the world of being a whether all-star high school athlete or just a high school athlete where you had a lot of structure or a college athlete where you had tons of structure you had that identity you had that focused programming and teamwork and then all of a sudden you're out on your own you might be overweight you might not be but you might be completely and you probably are completely deconditioned so where does that leave you and I think I think you hit the nail on the head, Brad, when you said that there's a lot of frustration because you're having to start over. Whereas when you were a young athlete in your prime, you didn't, you were, I mean, you were there already. It just, like you said, Brad, it's cycling through the different phases, the the strength phase, the speed phase, where you're getting better at each of those uh skills within the sport and then you periodize you know doing all of that stuff you were already fit and you had this programming but now they're having to get fit and that's so hard because the motivational piece the programming that's not there for you so that's where you're having to pull it on your own and the mental part of this is so difficult um Because a lot of people let their thoughts and their feelings about themselves at that moment become their identity. So, for example, just because you feel that you'll never be an athlete again, you might feel that deep down inside because you're comparing yourself to when you were at the prime of your athleticism, when you were at the peak of your youth. But just because you feel that you'll never be an athlete again, or even if you say, I will never perform at that level. You know, those things might be true in one way or another, but it doesn't mean that you should go on believing it and worse yet, vocalizing it and telling people that. Because when you start to tell someone something that, oh, I'll never be an athlete again. Um, Hello, Fixed Mindset, episode two, (laughs) right? You, you, start tell, you start convincing yourself these things. And, and that's where you need to have an open mindset, but approach your being an athlete and your athleticism differently. And here is where I'm going to talk to you guys about how you can do this and how we can compare your past experience as an athlete to you right now as an adult. Okay, so I want I want you as the listener to ask yourself the question, if you were once an athlete or you were doing awesome before and you're struggling to get back in the game right now, the first question is, how did you get good? All right. What are the elements of getting good at where you were? Well, as Brad has already talked about, it's regular training. It's being on a schedule, okay? And especially as Brad was talking about with the NYU students, that they only get two times a week with him because of the Division III uh, regulations, um, then 
you have to be disciplined to do work in the off season. Okay, you have to be committed. And so here's the thing. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the traits of an athlete and how you can carry these traits from the programmed college or professional athlete or even the high school athlete to your real world. Maybe it's in your basement. Maybe it's going to the track but wherever or to the gym, wherever it is that you train. And let's, let's start calling it that, guys. Let's start calling it training. Because if you call it working out, is there any goal with working out? If you just work out, that's kind of willy-nilly, right? If you're like, oh, I'm going to work out. Well, how about you train? How about you train to be that athlete again? How about you train and give yourself a goal? Because that's what you were doing as an athlete, right? You were training and you had a goal. So give yourself that goal. Because these are things that you still have in common with those athletes and the athlete that you used to be. So what is it all about? It's about commitment. That regular training that got you good was about commitment. So make that commitment to your personal training. If you don't have a regimen, write one out. Even if it's Monday, 30 minutes. Tuesday, weight room, upper body, lower body. Wednesday, easy cardiovascular. Okay, so even if it's simple as that in the beginning, put it on the paper. Because if it's not on the paper and you haven't taken it seriously and you're struggling in the first place to get back into working out, there's no commitment. Let's see the commitment, people. That's what you needed to get good. So that's what you need to come back, okay? Another thing with the regular training, it has to be focused, all right? So Brad, like you were talking about, they've got their skills, the athletes in college, like say you're a college baseball player or a college swimmer. You're with your specific sport trainer or your specific coach to work on the skills, the individual swimming skills or the baseball skills. You know, you practice. And when you practice and you're focused, then you are becoming better. And so if you have focused programming, this is where you want someone who knows what they're doing to help you be focused and to get that programming. So look for something that can guide you just so that you're not lost. Because that's where a lot of people fail as adults getting back in. Even if you were once a very serious athlete, you had all that programmed out for you. You didn't have to do it yourself. Brad, like you said, when people come to you, they're kind of lost because they didn't have to do it themselves. Um, so, so look for someone to help you get a trainer. Make that investment. Because if you make that investment in yourself, they're going to hold your hand and they're going to guide you. They might say, you know, I mean, your trainers are differently. You can, but you can tell them what kind of encouragement you want. Some people want a trainer to be in their face yelling at them. Some people want kind, gentle encouragement. Now, a trainer isn't those people who are necessarily in your face yelling at you. And I think a lot of people are afraid of trainers that way. I think a lot of people think that that's what a trainer has to be. 
But trainers can be what you want them to be. And you can be very specific with a trainer and say, okay, this is what motivates me. And a good trainer will ask you what motivates you. What's, how am I going to get the best out of you? And if they don't, then you go ahead and tell that trainer how they're going to get the best out of you and what motivates you. But if you don't have the money to get a trainer, a lot of us don't, then do a series. Do, you know, grab something like the P90X or do something from um, a realistic Instagram trainer or do something from an at-home fitness product that you can buy and then use the app that will direct you through some training programs or tell you what kind of workout you'll be getting. And that gives you a commitment to a program, gives you a commitment to a person, and it gives you that accountability. And when you get lost, you're just doing the next workout, okay? You don't have to think. So you've got that focused programming for you. Just be careful in who you choose and what kind of program that you choose, that it is applicable to your fitness level, to your body, and you know, don't don't choose a, a high impact program if you've got knee problems. Okay, so don't don't be sold something, as Brad was saying and, and Jama was saying, that isn't realistic for you. So um, think about that programming, but that's there for you right now too. Um, the other thing, a couple other things that um, athletes have had in the past with members of teams, constant feedback. You had coaching. You had a coach who would give you that positive feedback and that feedback of what you needed to do to get better, um, that constructive criticism. And you had teammates who were giving you, know, giving you that slap on the shoulder, saying, good job, awesome play, you know? Or, hey, you got it next time. It's okay. It's cool, man. It's all right. Um, and you've got that coach doing the same thing for you. Well, where are you going to get that in the real world? In the real world, who is going to do that for you? You can have it, but going at it alone is going to be difficult, okay? I mean, Jameis sitting here nodding her head about that accountability partner. Yeah, I definitely don't push myself as hard when Noah's watching. You know, like I need somebody there just watching, just holding me accountable, just making sure that I'm not slacking off, that I'm not just kind of halfway doing it. Like, I need that, for oh, sure. Like, yeah, like when you texted me last night, Jama, that you were going to be on the bike at 6 a.m. doing... And I was this morning. Thank you very much. I know. <laughs> I got the text this morning at, like, 5.45 saying that you were getting ready to get on your... Uh, that you're getting ready to get on the bike. And I was real, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it till 7. But I did it. We both stated what we were going to do. We did it. And we followed up. And I feel so much better. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that accountability partner and getting feedback, just someone who's in it with you. Now, be careful. As an adult, choose wisely who you make your accountability partner, okay? If you have a friend who is really excited about doing, with, doing this with you, but let's be honest, this friend is all bark and no bite, this friend does not walk the talk, then 
be careful about that because you will lose your accountability partner, okay? Or you might have somebody who's trying to drag you down, trying to drag you out of your own uh, success. So be careful about that. And, and also your, your partner who you spend most of your time with, be careful about that person. How are they going to help you? First of all, do they work out? Do they train? Do they exercise regularly? Or are they at least just willing to keep the kids so that you can do those things? Shout out to my husband right exactly, there. Exactly, <laughs> right there. But choose wisely. I mean, is this person going to actually be cheering you on? Is this person going to be understanding? Or is this person going to be a negative voice and being like, you're going to do what? Wait, what you? Go- <laughs> yeah, be really careful about that, guys, because the people that are closest to us sometimes aren't always the best partners for our own goals. <laughs> uh huh. So, you know, be, be careful about that. Um, try to find somebody who you really think is going to stick with you through this because that's super important. Um, so basically look at the traits of what makes a high performing athlete successful and you can take those same traits and you can be successful. So guess what? All of a sudden, we're not comparing ourselves to being at peak fitness and we're not comparing ourselves to being, you know, winning all the time and and being this jacked, really fit athlete. Because if we compare ourselves to that, guess what? I'm going to be back on the couch eating cake. OK, but or if, tacos. Or, <laughs> tacos. <laughs> but if we start looking at what makes that person good, what made me so good back then? It was my commitment. It was my focused programming. It was choosing some better words. It was, it was not beating myself up, but rather getting encouragement. And if that comes from you or other people. And it was having accountability but also seeking out that help where you need it because you had it provided to you then as an athlete. Well, guess what? Go find it. There's nothing wrong. And you are not less of an athlete at this point in your life if you are doing everything that you can to get the best out of yourself just to be healthy. We have new goals now. You know, in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, guess what? We have different goals our goals aren't to get to a certain place. Guess what? We're there. We're there. We're adults now. You know, we've hopefully got the the career, the family we we wanted, we strived for. And if you don't, there's always striving for it. But you're you're in a different place in your life. And I hopefully we're all getting to the point where we can be like, all right, guys, things are different now. And This is how I can be successful at where I am now. So let's make that mind shift of mindset shift, mind shift, new word. Um, Let's make that mindset shift of, okay, I'm not there anymore. I have many more cares in the world. I've got a mortgage. I've got college tuitions. I've got this, that car payment, you know, my job, my 12 hour a day job, this and that. All right, let's be kinder to ourselves. But let's take those, those uh, traits, commitment, accountability, make it doable, make it realistic. But 
do the work at where we are now. And I think if you're a little kinder to yourself, a little more gent- a little more gentle and a little more realistic about where you are now and not comparing who you used to be, but striving for what you used to do to get there. That's how you're going to become more successful as you transition into becoming an athlete again and getting back in the game. So I think our our wrap up for all of that is not getting back to who you were, but getting back to what you did to be that person. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. This I was the wheels turning the whole time listening to that. Oh, I know we do. <laughs> all right. Coming to mind, especially for me, was adaptability. Like I'm never going to be a college football player again, so I had to adapt to the athlete that I am. So I'm still an athlete. I'm just not the same type of athlete. Which is fantastic. That's exactly what we all need to do. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. I think that brings episode three to a close. I'm Jama, And I'm Megan. And you're stronger than you think you are. Thanks for joining us here at Dynamic on the Daily. Tune in every week for more practical tips on living your best life. From Jama and Megan.